Let's welcome Brian Mavis. <laughs> so uh, you obviously got the memo about wearing the cool long sleeve hipster shirt. Yeah, yeah. So uh, who, who wears it better? That's <laughs> it's obviously you. That's what we do around here. Hey, uh, so a couple things uh, before we get started. Uh, first of all, thank you for being here. Thanks for inviting and how, me. How was the weather in Colorado when you left? It was, well, we, we came a little early and arrived on Friday, and it was spring, it was 60-something Oh, I here. know. It was yeah, amazing. It's like that all the time. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Except for yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> it was really cold. <laughs> so before we get started, um, I want to do something. So if you're here today and you were adopted or you spent any amount of time in foster care or you have adopted or you have fostered a child... Uh, what I want you to do is I want you to stand right now. Can you do that? We'd like to acknowledge and see who has been affected by this awesome. issue. Let's give them a big round of applause. All right. So, so the other thing that I want to do, you can go ahead and sit down. Or you can just stand up the whole time <laughs> if you'd like to do that. Um, I want everybody to um, just take a deep breath because... Uh, you know, have Brian come here and talk about helping us solve the, 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 the foster crisis in Pennsylvania. It's, like, it's a lot like bringing a missionary in and saying, tell us we all need to be missionaries. And so I don't want anybody to feel any of that kind of a burden at all. What I want everybody to simply do is to pray a simple prayer. God, what do you want me to do? How can I be of service? I'm going to be available. And so trust me, if God wants you to do something, He's going to make you want to do it. Like, you'd have to have an army hold you back from doing it. So I don't want anybody feeling under any pressure at all. So anyway, let's get started. So we, the very first time we met, it was interesting. Vince Antonucci and I hopped on a plane. You know Vince, right? Yeah, so Vince and I, we, were, uh, we went to that Erwin McManus conference. In Los Angeles. Right. And Erwin's, if no one knows that, he's a like, pastor. He's like, oh, Anthony, you shouldn't structure anything at all. Just sort of loosey-goosey, the whole thing. Well, the conference was like that. We would show up to a breakout. There would be no speaker or anything. Mm-hmm. And then we were like, well, let's just hop in a car and go drive around L.A. And eventually... Let's see what they have in Malibu. Right. <laughs> Let's go serve Jesus. And so we hung out. I remember, Jesus in Malibu. Yes. I remember we went to Gladstones, and uh, we ate there on the beach. Uh-huh. But yeah. through the years... Felt really close to God. Yes. Yeah. So through the years, we have seen each other and connected at different times. But what a lot of people here don't know is that you became one of the... Probably like second... You, were at, you became a very influential pastor on staff at one of the largest churches in Colorado, mm-hmm. which for many pastors, if they're into that kind of thing, that's like the dream job. And then all of a sudden I get an email from you out of the blue that you're doing this foster thing. And I'm like, it was such an about face, and it's such a radical move if you're in that kind of position. What's the story behind that? How did you get from there to where you are now? Well, like you just told your audience, God took me there. But what happened was uh, about uh, 12 years ago, my wife and I became foster parents. And that was really part of her dream. She felt as a teenager, God had called on her life to care for orphans when she was visiting an orphanage in Mexico. And, and when she was living in the States, she felt purposeless. And, and then she discovered 
the world of foster care and how these kids had the same, same kind of life. And so I'm on staff at this church, like Brian just mentioned, and fostering. And I get a call from a child welfare worker in our county. He says, can I meet with you to talk to, talk to you about this issue in our county? I said, sure. So uh, a couple days later, Cindy came, and <clears throat> she introduced herself. And the first thing she said to me was, thanks for meeting with me. I've been trying to meet with the pastor for three years. You're the first one to say yes. So I'd apologize that that had been her experience with the church. Uh, also realized at the same time that a year sooner, I might have said no too. And if it weren't for my wife who said, you need to pay attention to this. And so uh, Cindy went on to explain that she had been a nun for 20 years and lived in the Cabrini Green housing projects in Chicago. And then she met a priest and they became Episcopalian. So I said, all right, they got married. <laughs> the Lord has spoken. Yeah, We're converting. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Love will do strange things. So uh, then uh, Cindy went on to say, Brian, uh, I, I want to let you know something. That in the 27-year history of child welfare in our county, there has never been one single day, not one, where kids weren't waiting for grown-ups to care for them. And she said, I have a challenge for you and your church. Help me change who waits. Help me have so many grown-ups who care about these kids that they're the ones on the waiting list, not the kids. So I had a nun challenge me to help orphans. So I knew if I said no, I'd go to hell. And so <laughs> we agreed to it. And within a year, uh, we fulfilled that goal. So what had ha- hadn't happened in 27 years was solved in a year. And the way that happened was we had two convictions. Uh, We were convicted that the families were out there and they were in the church and that the kids were just unknown and needed a chance to be seen and heard and they needed to meet each other. And so what we did was we started off photographing the kids and then telling their stories and then added video. And then the number of... uh, In Colorado, there were um, about 5,000 kids in foster care, and 800 were legally free, kind of legal legal orphans. That's not politically correct to say, but it was kind of their status. And we got that down to about 280. Well done. Uh, By the way, uh, just I think I'm not an expert in Pennsylvania, but there's about 15,000 kids in foster care here. 15,000. And about 20% of them would be legally free. Wow. So you sent a... uh a video for us to watch here this morning. Yeah, this gives you a glimpse of some of the, like, the video work we did. And now we're expanding, we've expanded beyond Colorado. All right, take a look at this. My name is Haley. My age is nine. My name is Haley. <laughs> I <almost said> Haley. <laughs> a family is people that are in your, um, Friendship, love, caring, stability, someone that will be there for you when you need them to. If a family, I like to just spend time with them. Family means to me is that that I have somewhere to live and enjoy. I what? Love. I love you. Family means to me caring, loving. Nice, loving, 
kind. They could be by my side. Spend time with each other, like go to the movies, or even just eat dinner with them. Anything to spend time, but just those little memories would last. People who be there for each other, um, love and, and, and care for one another. The family to me is love, and um, I don't want to be an orphan or or in a group home. I'm looking forward to go somewhere where I can have love. Well, if y'all see this, I hope y'all like it and see it. Hopefully I can be one of your family members. It's people that I can depend on that will take care of me and always be there for me even though I'm not their own. Um, I just hope I can't find a family because I just hope I can find a family. that to our staff there wasn't a dry eye in the room man that's it was, the point yeah <laughs> it's we these aren't stats these are kids and their greatest fear is that they're unlovable and they're afraid if they don't get chosen that we've confirmed it what what happened after you so these are kids on rolls and then you created videos what happened <clears throat> well a few years ago then uh, a group out of Chicago was researching what was working in this field in the United States, and they searched east, west, north, south, and they came out and visited us a few times, and then they said, we pick you guys. We think you get the biggest bang for the buck. And so we s- spent a few days together and flew back from Chicago to Colorado, and my, they s- said, just go, like, go beyond Colorado, go national. And my wife said, so are you going to do this? I said, no. And she's like, why not? I said, because getting kids into families is your thing. It's not my thing. So um, I had the opportunity to sleep on the couch that night and (laughs) rethink my answer. And uh, I, uh, I woke up to a text. And it was from a gal named Gina Johnson who had adopted a couple of kids and from our work and she said, Brian, I had a dream last night that you died. And I tried to get to your funeral. In fact, you had two. But I couldn't get in because it was filled with kids that you, you had helped get into families. So I texted back, I'll see to you that you get into the second funeral. So it was just like I, I had to dismiss it. But I realized God was working in this. And, and I'll tell you what, my thing, my thing was to point, what's the purpose of my life? It was to point people to Jesus. And it took a couple more months and a couple more weird things like that happened. And it became clear God wasn't changing my what, he was changing my how. He said, who do you think I want you to point to me? It's these kids who need families. How do you think they're going to come to know me? Except through a loving mom and dad. Hmm. So, um, so you're speaking to Christians, probably uh, 
I would say 75% of the room Christians and then 25% interested or they've been drug here. Okay, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, That's how I started. All right. <laughs> and uh, so this is a different audience. I mean, all of those things would touch the heart of, of a non-believer that if you were speaking at some organization somewhere mm-hmm. or business, why should Christians be involved? Are there any... Is well, there any? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it's, it's scientifically, statistically shown that Christians foster and adopt at almost three times the rate of non-Christians, first of all. So this is the, the prime audience. Huh. Uh, Christians seem to be uh, more motivated than, he, uh, than any other group demographically. Um, that's good to know because Scripture says it's a mandate that we care uh, for the fatherless. And so I think you guys are operating out of your true, sincere faith in the Holy Spirit saying, do this, say yes to this. Okay. So that's, that's a couple of reasons. Um, the, to flip it on its head, though, the other reason you and the church should do this uh, is you need these kids. To be the kind of Christian that God wants you to be. To be the kind of church that God wants this church to be. You know, my favorite story is Les Mis. And uh, if you're familiar with that story or seen the movie, you start off thinking, oh, this is a story about a big, strong guy who saves a little orphan girl. And by the time you're done with the story, you realize, I had it totally wrong. It was about a little orphan girl who saves a big, strong man. And that's the same with the church. These kids help the church be the kind of church that God wants and helps you be the kind of Christian he wants. And so that's, and lastly, if you guys don't do it, nobody else is showing up. The church is the only one solving this. Okay. So let me, so last week I asked everybody here to take an index card and I said, here's a hypothetical situation. And I I didn't share this because I wanted to, to guilt them in any way, but just simply to get to the core issues. I said, okay, just imagine there's a six-year-old kid right here. Okay that needs foster care or adopted. Tell me specifically why you wouldn't do that. Why you would literally walk out of the room and say no. Mm-hmm. And I got some very thoughtful responses. The people I said, just be honest, don't sugarcoat it. And so what I did is I took the responses and I broke them into like three broad categories uh, based on how they responded. What I wanna do is I wanna read through them and I want you to respond based on your experience. Okay. I just want you to just off the top of your head, how do you respond to this? So the first group said, I want to get involved, but they're very practical reasons. Uh, we don't have space in our house. Um, I don't have time because of my job or our kids' stuff or we travel a lot or whatever, or my spouse isn't interested. So what do you say to these people? Okay, I'd, I'd say um, not everyone is in a space and time in their life where they're called to foster or adopt right now. There's, but everyone, 100% of you, are called to care. And so I, I put people in two categories. Healers, there's those families that do open up their hearts and homes to kids to foster and or adopt, and helpers. And the helpers are the people who support those families and they, with respite care and with helping with math and... Uh, carpooling and all those kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, but see, here's the thing. This is my group, okay? So, yeah. yeah. Um, 
I get up at 3.30 in the morning every day. I'm literally at my desk at 3.30. By the time lunch rolls around, everybody else has taken their third bite of sandwich. I've already worked nine hours, and I'm just, I'm just winding up. And my wife is a busy principal, up at 5, out the door at 6.15. And so here's the thing. I don't want you to let me off the hook. Okay. Because I... I I think if the Apostle Paul was sitting here, if it was a part of this interview, he would look at me and say, boo-hoo, oh, I'm sorry, you get a free pass. And so, um, on the one hand, I'm busy. At the, at the other hand, on the, on, the, on the other hand, I just, I genuinely, I, when my uh, youngest daughter left for school, I'm glad she isn't here because she, <laughs> she would make fun of me right now. Yeah. Dad, you're embarrassing yeah. me. <laughs> when she left, I was like genuinely... Um, brokenhearted because being a dad was one of the things, one of the few things I've truly thought of as pretty good at. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. All right. So, all right. So help me then. Don't let me off the hook. Like our, our church has this value that the Bible alone dictates what we believe in practice. And so there's a very clear scripture. There's hundreds of them, but one is James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress mm-hmm. and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so, so this was a command given in the latter part of the, of the first century. 100 years later, there was a guy named Celsus. Celsus was a philosopher, and he was hysterical. And he was like the Bill Maher of non-Christians of the second century. And he wrote a book mocking Christians called The True Word. And he, descri- he made, just made fun of Christians. And listen to his description. He described Christians as foolish and low individuals, persons devoid of perception, slaves, women, and children, which was a derogatory thing in the second century, of whom the teachers basically take advantage of. And then he described Christian church gatherings as a flight of bats, a swarm of ants issuing out of their nest, frogs holding counsel in a marsh, or worms crawling together in the corner of a dunghill, which I'm sure you've been to churches. Yeah, I've, that, been, yeah. Yeah, I've been to that church. Yeah, <laughs> but, but the reason he did that is he was talking about the kind of people that are in the Christian gatherings. Mm -hmm. In the second century, the Christians did that stuff. They actually took care of the orphans, and so the educated elite in society would look at those people, and they would make fun of them, but they didn't care. Mm -hmm. It was what they did. Compare that to the people who are here today. The people who are in the average church. So I just... You know, I, I, so I, there, there are a couple verses. Matthew 25. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Matthew 16. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. It's mm-hmm. like, you just don't get a free pass. So the conversation we're having, because every time we sit down for dinner, I keep saying, we are not adopting a kid. That's the first thing in the conversation. But the conversation for us is more like, do we take in a refugee then? Do we take in a family? Does that Mm -hmm. fit better with our schedule? So anyway, here's the second group, okay? Okay. 
The second group has some, some more serious concerns. Okay. They, they said, um, if we did this, it would take time and resources away from our own children. Yes. They were, it will. Okay, you're supposed to sugarcoat this and make it easier. All right. Take up your cross. <laughs> Timing was, I'm single, like, you know, and I'm going to get married. Do I, do I really want to do this or I'm mm-hmm. too old? Or, mm-hmm. or I have too much responsibility right now for the family members. I'm really afraid of getting too attached and then mm-hmm. the child being taken away. Yeah. Or, honestly, I just don't want the burden. What, what's going through your mind when you hear those concerns? Um, well, a, f- a few. Like I said, yeah. Yeah, those are um, good reasons. Um, I just don't think they're good enough reasons. And so, like, let's take the one I'm going to get too attached, and then the child's going to go back to their their family that they All got right. taken. Tell me from. about a time where that happened to you, because you foster kids and yeah. then you took them back. What's that like? Uh, it's horrible. That would suck so bad. Yeah, dude. we ball. The hardest my girls have ever seen me cry. Was giving Keegan back. Who's Keegan? We got him when he was six months old, and they found him. They didn't know where his mom was. He was just in a crack house, despondent. We got him, and by the time we got him, he went to his grandparents. By the time we gave him back, he was such a beautiful, loving, healthy, happy boy. I called him my son, and just to stay, love him. So, I have two. I have two biological daughters, and we told them it's more important to protect him than to protect our hearts, and our hearts will heal. And so, if you're doing foster care and it doesn't hurt, you're not doing it right. They've already taken enough risk. It's time for the grown-ups to take some off of them. So, yeah, it's going to hurt. Congratulations, you're exactly the right person that kid needs. They need to know what attachment feels like. So, okay. What, what, so you have two daughters, right? Yeah. Surely you had concerns of bringing... How does that work? Like, how, I would be more concerned about my daughters than, than, so, than myself. I'm fine, you know? It, yeah, so, um, you, know, uh, there, you know, you do want to protect your kids. And so one of the rules that we had was to not bring in a child older than our youngest and so that way they could at least, um, you know, have the influence, go, go that way, older to younger. Um, we've broken that twice. I mean, we had a 17-tall, big 17-year-old in our home when our girls were um, 16 and 14. And that was intense, but safe. He wasn't a problem. And then now we have a, actually a 24-year-old young man living with us, and my youngest who still lives with us. Um, and it, it's hard, but again, our girls have made it clear. I mean, virtually then through high school, every paper they ever wrote, and they always got an A plus on or a speech, was what it's like to be a foster sister. And but they've said it was being a foster sister has been by far the most impactful thing 
that ever happened to them in their faith. So my 23 and 21-year-old are both already planning to be foster moms. So um, there are the, 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 the final group was like, like some real, really serious concerns. And so we had um, people here uh, submit stories, positive and constructive, uh, wonderful and painful. Uh, and I want to thank everyone for sharing all of your stories. I haven't had an opportunity to respond to each of you, but I read every single one of those multiple times. And so what I wanted to do before I ask, or I, before I highlight these concerns is I wanted to share one of those emails. Um, it's by a friend of mine, goes way back, uh, was, was a part of our church. Uh, we're, in, we're in the movie theater days. Oh, wonderful mom. Just brilliant mm-hmm. and kind and compassionate. I bring up her example because she's like the most extreme example that you could think of. First of all, she's a single mom doing this by herself. Okay. She chose to adopt as a single mom and then she chose to adopt a child that um, is struggling with extreme medical um, issues, multiple, multiple, multiple surgeries. Mm-hmm. And so I was just so touched by all of the emails, but this one in particular, I wanted to share this before I go into, these, into okay. the concerns. And so she wrote, I have had moments when I sincerely hated my kid, and I'm absolutely certain he had moments when he felt the same about me. To say it's been 70% crap and 30% a good experience is pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. The amazing thing is that the 30% far outraised 70% in meaning and value. And I'm pretty sure that's the essence of parenting. If I had known how difficult it would be, how it would test and at times break me, I probably wouldn't have adopted him. But I'm so glad I did not have the ability to see in the future because I would have missed out on the most important experiences of my life, growing, changing, learning, healing, and loving someone for no other reason than I can. If a self-absorbed, this is funny, if a self-absorbed, single, comfy, middle-level cubicle dweller with a mortgage and a dog, uh, my greatest commitments up until that point, could do all of this and live to tell the tale, I have yet to talk to someone who couldn't as well. I don't have any special ability resources just a diehard commitment to make this work. And I've been told that adoption is not the same as blood when it comes to connection, that they want the baby experience as if it were not as valuable from a mothering perspective, but it's better than blood. It isn't a crapshoot. It isn't what I've been handed or trying to create a perfect life or experience. It was a distinct and conscious choice of all the children in the world. I would choose him again. I chose right. That's beautiful. So, so this final group raises very serious issues that they have concerns with. So this third group hesitant because of behavioral trauma issues. Mm-hmm. Will the child get along with my kids? I don't know how to help uh, kids with special needs. I'm worried about interacting with the childbirth's family who's involved in the penal system and drugs. Mm-hmm. This will expose my own family to a rougher lifestyle. I have safety concerns with other children. What, what's going through your head as you hear that? Yeah, good. I'm going in with eyes wide open. That's, that's smart. Uh, and so let's talk about safety a little bit. I, I get it. I mean, we would take our girls out, and 
it, we do picnics with, you know, a gangbanger and a prostitute trying to get their kid back. And our girls were like, I don't think you're parenting us right. You know, it's like, so it was like, that's the way it was. Um, remember an addict, we finally, we invited her to church, first church, every time she'd gone to church in her life, they started a series on addiction that day. So God is in this, trust God. Uh, and the trauma thing, I mean, that's, a, the kids, these kids go through all sorts of issues. So uh, you become trauma informed. Worst, worst trauma you experience with a child? Uh going probably going through it right now with uh, a, a young adult who is living with us six four days out of foster care grew up with uh, a prostitute her mom his mom was a prostitute lived 37 places everything's a trigger everything so uh, his because he has PTSD it's beyond rational so anything can set him off um, my wife is in love with him and incredibly, incredibly brave. And is changing his life. So I won't give any specifics. It's just... Yeah. And there are days where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And she's like, you're going to. So... You're going to be on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm on there a lot. So... <laughs> Um, Has there ever been a time where you had to say no or you had to send a kid back? Um, <clears throat> there were times when we would uh, end our time with a specific kid uh, through, through somebody ad adopting them or re reunification, and we would always want a break. Like, we're, I think that's the last one. And our daughters would always say, Let's do another one. Hmm. So, be, be, but back, be trauma-informed. There are good resources. You can go on YouTube and, t and type in Empowered to Connect. You'll get hours and incredible resources on how to understand trauma. There might be trauma in your life, and you, it could be healing for you, but also could help you with healing for, for kids who have experienced trauma. Yeah, we'll talk about this in a second, but we have a breakout immediately after the service over in the kids' building, where we're going to talk very specifically about that. We have families that are going to share their stories about adoption, and then we have a um, caseworker who's going to present how to take steps and that. So let me ask you this. So cut two, two final questions. One is, I get hit by a bus, okay? Mm -hmm. You take over as the senior pastor at this church. You know the reason we brought you in here in the first place was we want to help solve this. And so Matt Silver, one of our pastors on staff, is going to run point and help coordinate and, and do things. But you become the senior pastor. What's the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth thing you're doing here? Um, a first is to continue to help you guys understand and get it in your heart that this is not only uh, uh, like a heart issue, it's God's thing. This is a smart issue. Like, this is a gateway to all sorts of other things. Thank God for churches that have uh, homeless ministries. Thank God for churches that have addiction ministries. Thank God for churches that have crisis pregnancy ministries and jail ministries and uh, employment and sex trafficking, all those things. But what if we could go upstream and help 
keep these kids from needing those ministries when they're adults because they were loved by a family. And so I would get in your heart like, this is a particularly, as a senior pastor, I mean, you get every week somebody, you ought to do this, you ought to do that. And it's like, okay, what if we could go upstream and take care of one thing that took care of a bunch of things? The next thing I would do is provide opportunities for you guys to become trauma care informed. This is trauma care information is beyond foster care. There's war veterans have experienced trauma care. Virtually every addict, people, reason people are addicts because they've experienced trauma and they're trying to self-medicate. So learn about trauma care. Uh, There are tools and practices that can happen to help people heal through trauma. And so uh, Empowered to Connect has a live simulcast that in a couple of months host it here and have and like get people to attend it um and then meet together support each other this is really hard and um it's half of people who sign up to be foster care parents um quit after their first kid so be there for each other help each other keep saying i'll be here for you you don't have to do this alone Foster care is messy. It doesn't have to be lonely. Okay. All right. Last thing. So one thing I know about this church is it's filled with amazing parents, like great parents. Undoubtedly, some of them are wondering, okay, God, are you up to something here? Mm-hmm. I want you to speak directly to those people. What do you, what do you say to them? if they feel a stirring in their heart? Um, I would say, first, as an entire group, this issue is solvable. There can be more grown-ups who step up than there are kids to help. And then shrink it down to you individually. Um, Just do the next right thing. Just ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you want me to do next? What's my next small step? And then be brave enough to do it. All right. Last question. Tell me the story about someone that when you think of it going well, here's a person that um, you didn't think would ever be fostering kids, and then they did, and they're like changing lives. There's a girl named Mandy who... um, she grew up in foster care after she saw her stepdad murder her mom. She became a, she now is a foster and adoptive parent of, I forget, like 20 kids today. She's, cha- she's healed and is healing. Well, um, so right after this service, we're going to have uh, a breakout over, not going to be 50 minutes, it's going to be 50 minutes long, over in the kids' building. So as soon as the service is over, we'll encourage all of everyone who is available to go to go on over to the kids' building, to the auditorium, and then it will start shortly. But if you wouldn't mind, can you pray for us? Yeah. <clears throat> Father, I just thank you so much for this church that cares about the things that you care about, it, that this church whose heart breaks over the things that your heart breaks about. 
So, Father, I just pray that you do something special here, that your Holy Spirit descend, your presence be palpable, and that um, you give people uh, clarity enough to take the next step, even though they can't see the future, they can't see far ahead, they know enough to do the next thing. Give them that, and then uh, give them the courage to say yes to that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Brian is going to be over here for anyone who wants to meet with him or ask any questions. Um, let's tell him thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. To engage with others about this topic and more, please check out Brian's blog at brianjones.com. Thank you.